Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with representatives of a global, multi-stakeholder community. And I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Professor Jan Scholtes. Uh, Jan, welcome to the program. Thank you, Fritz. Happy to be here. Allow me to introduce Professor Jan Scholte. He is a professor in text mining and AI, an expert in e-discovery and legal tech, and is uh, a board member or a fellow at a number of uh, organizations. Uh, for instance, the Professional Learning at the Faculty of Governments and Global Affairs, Center for Data Science, the Association for Certified e-discovery specialists, Electronic Discovery Reference Model, has numerous publications and a number of patents around e-discovery, and is also the founder of Xilab. Uh, and over for, for 30 years, Xilab has uh, supported the FBI, the White House, a number of international tri uh, tri tribunals around e-discovery. So the main topic today is data, AI, and what e-discovery can do on accountability. Again, Jan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, could you foremost explain to the audience uh, we're going to talk a lot about e-discovery. What is e-discovery all about? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah e-discovery is all about uh, fact-finding uh, in, uh, in legal processes, uh, originally from the United States, or actually originally uh, a procedure under common law. And you may know we have common law in the United States and the UK. Uh, in uh, continental Europe, we have civil law. And in common law, there is practice which is called discovery which means that parties under civil lawsuits can uh, demand the other party to supply them all the evidence that's relevant to build their case. And this is something which uh, was uh, established already in the 30s to, uh, to provide uh, small parties without uh, much funding to uh, start legal proceedings against large corporations. Um, and in December 1st, 2006, the United States uh, changed the federal rules of civil procedure by also including any type of electronic information which is, uh, of which some party is custody, is custody holder, um, to um, collect that and uh, mandate those parties to give that to the other side. And uh, this has kind of revolutionized uh, the discovery process and uh, now ever since under US uh, civil law it's possible for parties to uh, request all the mailboxes, uh, social media, hard disks, anything they have anywhere in any kind of uh, electronic formats. So these days also Zoom meetings and other recordings and this has led to an enormous explosion uh, and it's completely impossible to, to do this manually. So the most successful area of legal tech uh, commercially uh, mm -hmm. is e-discovery because it's no longer possible to do these discovery requests without support of technology. So this is where it came from. But over the years, um, the, uh, the best practices developed under e-discovery have also been adopted for other legal use cases than just American civil law. So it's used for internal investigations, audits, uh, public records requests, FOIA Freedom of Information Act requests, uh, fraud investigations, bribery investigations, 
uh, all kinds of other uh, fact-finding missions or information requests. I think those are the two magic words um, where you have to deal with electronic data. And that's what we call e-discovery these days. Okay, so the, the, the data is a basis for a legal argument. Well, the evidence is in the, is in the data and the data yeah. is somewhere electronically stored. It's no longer printed out. And uh, so the, yeah, the, the, the facts of the matter, the evidence is in the electronic data collections. And then e-discovery is the process where you, uh, you ask the other party for those facts and then they have to give it to you. They don't, they get huge fines and sanctions and penalties, maybe either, even an adverse outcome of a legal procedure. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but over the time, like I said, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's all about uh, it's all about fact finding in a variety of different cases, mostly touching to a legal process. Okay, so um, is it only confined uh, to a legal environment, or do you see a wider application of this? Yeah, governance, accountability, yeah. transparency, auditors. Um, it's it, it's a pro the, the formally and this is the process we also developed in the electronic uh, discovery reference model organization where which is an international organization where we uh, develop standards and we also provide education and provide uh, transparency to the legal community on okay what is e-discovery and how do you do it and uh, and it's always in the structure of you have to you have to first identify where the relevant information for your problem is. And um, then it's, uh, you have to collect that information. You have to preserve it so it's, uh, it's not changed and it can act as evidence later in uh, the process. Then you have to make everything searchable. You have to analyze it. You have to review it. You have to protect personal information, privacy, data protection. And then you have to present it or produce it to the other party. And, and this is the structure that, that, uh, that we see coming back and, and where a normal search program is, can be compared with finding, trying to find the needle in the haystack. Mm -hmm. In e-discovery, we have a problem of a little different nature. Uh, first of all, we don't know what the needle looks like. And second, we have no idea where the haystack is. And that's a problem we're trying to solve in e-discovery. Got it. Uh, but in layman terms, it sounds a little bit like an alternative for Google, or am I now pushing it? Well, Google is a very interesting uh, comparison you make. Very good question. Google is developed um, uh, as an advertisement machine. Mm -hmm. And the Google search engine is a search engine that provides what we call in science a very high precision. Precision means that uh, if, you, uh, if you search for something, uh, even if you search for just two keywords, Google translates that uh, to kind of a relevant search query and then gives you the best solutions uh, to address your problem. So suppose that I'm looking for a hotel room in The Hague, then uh, I Google for a hotel, The Hague, and then I get the four best websites talking about or providing me the best hotel deals. What Google does not do is Google does not give you all the websites referring to hotels because that's not what you're interested in. That's what we call recall, uh, trying to find everything that's out there. Now, if you are in the legal uh, business, you're a lawyer or you're an intelligence specialist or law enforcement officer, or you're a physician and, 
and you're interested in uh, certain clinical uh, outcomes, then you want to find everything that's potentially relevant. So you want to have a high recall. Now, um, the search engines that uh, are useful for uh, legal professionals must have a high recall and Google is not suited for that. Google, Google, for instance, only stores a certain amount of information and everything that's surplus to a certain number, it no longer stores. And that's how Google needs to do that to be fast. Uh, the other problem with Google is it's ranked on popularity. Um, <clears throat> and Google, everybody wants to be the top. If you're a criminal, you're committing fraud, you don't want to be the top. So people that do certain things that, uh, um, you know, in accountability, transparency terms are uh, not 100% uh, perfect, uh, those people, uh, you will never find them with Google. Uh, so you need to find people without knowing how to find them, or you need to find things which don't want to be found. Okay. And, and that makes this a much more interesting problem. So you, so the objective is to find information, uh, but I also would assume to validate that it's truthful information. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, could you explain in layman terms how you can actually trust the data you found? Yeah, yeah. Now that's a very important question, and uh, and that's a standard uh, issue we have to deal with in data mining. Uh, there's always uh, confidence and support, uh, which are two terms from the data mining uh, community. Uh, how sure are you that uh, what you find is actually correct? But also, how much support is there for the facts that you find? Is it just an individual one or two times lucky uh, coincidence? Or is it uh, evidence that is present like 20 times and it's overwhelming and it's very clear. Um, but when you use this type of technology to search whether somebody or something, uh, somebody's guilty or something actually happened, you should not only search for that particular fact, but you should also search for the contradictions. You should be very careful not to falsify uh, for false, you should be, you should prevent falsification. And the way to do that is to also search for evidence that somebody is not guilty or that okay. something didn't happen, or you have to correct it for chance that it's, you know, uh, by chance two facts occur, uh, but it doesn't mean that actually somebody did it. Okay, uh, so the, yeah, I, so, and it's also to avoid echo chambers. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, have to, you have to, yeah, echo chambers or tunnel vision, yeah. as we call it in Dutch. I don't know if that's a proper yeah. English word. Uh, but yeah. there has been many cases where uh, Dutch law enforcement officials uh, actually uh, yeah, uh, uh, obtained uh, tunnel vision and as a result uh, innocent people were convicted and, and what happened afterwards, what we found out afterwards in those cases is that those law enforcement office officers only searched for evidence that somebody is guilty but they never searched for, okay, could it be that this is luck. Could it be that this coincidence? Could it be that 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 this individual is not guilty? And uh, and that, for instance, this is one of the things that the Dutch Police Academy has also now included in their uh, in their training program. Uh, and it's also something that uh, forensic accountants have to do. You always need to search uh, also that somebody is uh, is not guilty. Okay, but this very much reminds me of the saying: a tool, uh, a fool with a tool is still a fool. Yeah. In the sense that what you're talking, uh, you're just describing, also looking at evidence contradicting what you're looking yeah. for, yeah. that 
doesn't have to do necessarily with the technology technological options but this is like a personal mindset or a mindset of the person using that technology yeah. Yeah. am i applying it in the right manner yeah yeah and and uh, technology always serves uh you know multiple purposes yeah and you can do right and you can wrong with almost any technology that humankind invented and uh yeah using technology properly is uh, is a very important uh, aspect of uh of e-discovery okay uh, and can you also use e-discovery uh, for instance to detect fake news um well the, those algorithms can also be used uh, to detect fake news and the question is okay is the uh you know do you also do something with that insight yeah <laughs> and <laughs> but um no absolutely it's it's very similar technology that's used uh, what we are doing in e-discovery is that we are kind of organizing the data you have to deal with terabytes of data 10 20 100 terabytes is no longer an exception and a terabyte if you print that that's about 55 kilometers of bookshelf uh, one terabyte yeah um and these days the average investigation is 10 or 20 terabytes and so we can no longer print it we can no longer read everything from you know left to right uh, we we have to use a data-driven approach and so what we do is is we organize the data along the dimensions of which we know that the user is interested and you have to be careful because that can also introduce bias uh, but you typically know in certain type of cases whether it's like a competition case a uh, price fixing case or bribery case or money laundering you kind of know what the, the 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 people that are doing the investigation are interested in or breach of contract or those type of things now then by organizing and structuring the data along those dimensions uh, it is easier for the reviewer to find the answers to the typical questions they're looking for so instead of uh searching the data we sort the data e-discovery is like a sorting process okay and it starts very basically with with finding privileged information which is very important that you can take out your privileged information you don't want to give privileged email uh, to the other party you can also take out confidential information you want to take out irrelevant information um when I say 10 terabytes, then often 80% of that 10 terabytes are duplicates. You want to remove the duplicates, but there could also be near duplicates. Now, and then it's interesting to see where the differences are. Are those relevant or not? And uh, yeah, then and then you have to find what's interesting. But even if you have found at a certain moment what's interesting, it's impossible to find everything that's interesting by reading it. Yeah. Uh, what we see over and over is that uh, when humans read something, um they can keep their attention to like a hundred or maybe a thousand pages but after that they lose attention and, and humans are not cognitively suited to do this type of work you, we cannot read 10 million or 100 million pages and don't miss anything okay so what we do is we we teach this evidence to the computer and then what we believe is relevant and then the computer finds everything um that's similar and and that works very very well uh, and that's where we use AI techniques. Uh, and uh, this is a technology which is not only allowed in American federal courts, uh, it's even mandated these days because the judges know that by using this type of technology, we will have better fact finding than if we have 
human lawyers, even the best lawyers in the world, reading everything uh, the old-fashioned way. Okay. Uh, by the way, how do you certify that the, te the technology used is actually doing what it's supposed to do? How, how do you, can you verify that? Uh, sampling, validating, comparing it with humans. So we do a lot of scientific experiments where we have an annotated data set. And uh, we, uh, we annotate the data set often two or three times. We compare the differences. Uh, so we, we, we kind of uh, investigate where different human annotators take different decisions. We discuss them, we try to solve them until we have like at least 80, 90% agreement. And then we use those type of data sets. Uh, we give that data set then to a group of human beings. And we give them a certain task and we ask them to do that task and then we measure the quality and we do the same with computer algorithms and we compare and uh, yeah it's, uh, computers always win uh, these days especially with large large volumes which is logic because uh, yeah uh, human we, we are not made to do those type of tasks okay now uh, just to be cl clarify that uh, is e-discovery a specific type of ai or machine learning engine no, no, no. Now, e-discovery is, uh, is, is, uh, is a fact-finding uh, mission okay. process. And the interesting thing about e-discovery is that uh, we use anything from manual review to traditional keyword search to the most advanced AI techniques. Uh, we use speech recognition. We use uh, uh, image uh, tagging. Uh, we use video analysis. Uh, we use machine translation, you know, Anything under the sun which has been labeled AI uh, um, or information analysis, we use. We use supervised machine learning. We use uh, topic modeling, unsupervised machine learning. We use deep learning. We use sentiment mining, or, uh, all these types of things. But the interesting thing about e-discovery is that the other party will always challenge the use of technology because you're in a legal position. Yeah. You know, the other lawyer will always say, well, I don't trust it. And even if I trust it, I still don't believe it. Um, so you have to be very, very uh, careful using technology in this field. And it has to be very well documented. It has to be transparent. I, we, we cannot say, okay, this is propriety technology. I'm not going to tell you how it works. That will not hold up in court. Because okay. we also have e-discovery on e-discovery. And that's when lawyers start fighting about, okay, I, I gave you an e-discovery task, but you didn't do it right. And now I'm going to prove in court that you actually are trying to hide information. You are, um, uh, we call that spoilation. Now, if you're being accused of spoilation, you can easily end up with a hundred million dollar fine uh, because you don't respect the court. And so in e-discovery in our field, um, we have always been extremely concerned about, uh, about transparency. We call that also the chain of custody. Who did what, when, uh, where did this information came from? Why do we think it's relevant? Why do we not think it's relevant? Who took that decision? How does the algorithm work? Uh, is the algorithm reproducible? If you have the same data set, a different moment in time, you want to have the same behavior. Now, all of those things in the e-discovery field, we have been, uh, yeah, we've been uh, we've been extremely concerned about that. Good to know, because uh, it makes me curious when you are within your peers in the association of certified e-discovery specialists. Yeah, uh, I'm just curious. Um, 
so far you've you've covered that, that the application is very much in the, the legal field but you're sharing with us uh potential applications which go way beyond just the legal field is that also a discussion you have within your association yes well we we are more and more concerned these days about information governance because the whole e-discovery problem of course starts upstream where people create information and and we used to have uh, we used to have records managers um but they're kind of all gone except with some government agencies. Yeah. And these days, it's everybody's task to manage their own records. And as a result, nobody does it. And so, and this is where the whole problem starts. It, it's this, 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 uh, yeah, people are collecting information as they never did before. Uh, so everybody is the custodian of uh, a couple of terabytes of data. And then if you have a large investigation, it gets completely out of hand. So, why do we keep all this information? Now, we keep all this information because we believe it's useful and maybe one day we can use it, but we also keep a lot of information that we shouldn't keep, which is violating personal uh, privacy regulations, uh, or we collect information that has no value at all. Uh, the, the National Archives, direct, Director of Litigation Support from the National Archives once told me that from all the data they get from the departments in the United States, um, which, which are turned over because the department thinks it's relevant information for historical reason. They say, we throw away 99%. We only keep 1%. Um, so people think that information is much more important than it actually is. And, um, and, and in these collections, there's always a lot of problems, uh, a lot of uh, you know, landmines. Uh, so if you, we are at the ASETS, the Association of Certified E-Discovery Specialists, we are yeah, trying to convince uh, information specialists and IT folks mm -hmm. to solve the problem more uh, upstream. But that's uh, that's best that's a challenge because you know um, uh, yeah it means that you have to invest and spend money for something which is not yet a problem, uh, yeah. and not everybody I, wants to be proactive. I, I understand that because. Um... For me, it sounds like uh, this might be a technology which we could use when we think about how can we uh, solve the accountability issue in a digital age, uh, where technology is just moving faster than the legal framework can keep up with. This seems, this could be bridge part of that gap. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have many clients that, uh, um, uh, and I've seen many applications in the past where uh, people have burned themselves a couple of times and then they say okay you know we are not going to continue solving the problem here uh, we are going to solve the problem earlier in the process and then they start using this technology for knowledge management for records management um, for uh, file management uh, case management and, uh, and that's extremely powerful so you could use the e-discovery concepts uh, yeah. in a accountability by design yeah no, no absolutely uh, and that's that's what a lot of insurance companies these days are doing uh, insurance companies uh, especially medical insurance companies also have uh, yeah, both medical information but also uh, personal information and then they want to make sure that they are not violating any gdpr or other privacy regulation 
And then what they do is they use this type of technology to analyze their servers and mailboxes and actually uh, yeah, hold their uh, employees accountable that they, uh, that they uh, don't keep stuff that they shouldn't keep. And if they want to keep it for knowledge management reasons, then they also, one of the other benefits of this technology is because it does such a high fidelity linguistic analysis of the data. It knows exactly what is a person name. It knows what is a company name. It knows what is, you know, we use all these semantic roles of, of language. I haven't talked about that, but we, when we analyze data, we analyze it at a very, very deep level. So we know exactly what the role is of all these phrases and words. So, and we use this knowledge to auto-redact, to, to, to okay. anonymize information. So we have many clients, I've seen many applications where um, data that uh, is relevant for future knowledge management, uh, for instance, uh, how did you do a certain type of case with a certain liability and a certain medical uh, problem, um, you want to redact the names of the patients and, yeah. and anything that can be used to, to identify the patient, but you still want to keep you know, the knowledge so anybody else in five years from now that runs into the same problem can use that knowledge. These type of organizations use exactly this technology to uh, to identify that information, to uh, anonymize or pseudonymize it, uh, and then use it for future knowledge management. Love it. Now, one final topic I want to cover with you in this uh, interview is at the beginning we said uh, it's still about the people using that technology because it's not, the technology can be used for good or bad. What type of people, I mean, what type of students do you have and what do you tell your students um, which come to your class? Yeah, yeah. well, I, I teach at two universities. One is Maastricht University, and there I focus on the algorithms and the computer science and the AI. And as a standard component of our curriculum, we also uh, pay a lot of attention to ethics uh, and, 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 uh, and to legal uh, requirements. You cannot just collect any data you want and use it for, for profiling or text mining. So we also discussed the Artificial Intelligence Act. We discussed the GDPR. Uh, we discussed uh, other uh, legal obligations and, and ethical uh, frameworks. Uh, in addition, we spend a lot of time, of course, to, to preventing bad science. Uh, so we focus on the algorithms, the mathematics, uh, we, we teach the students to recognize whether a model is too much simplifi simplified. Um, and we also discuss how to implement it, how to teach the machine learning, how to avoid, well, you cannot avoid bias, but how to deal with bias. Uh, there's about, if you Google for human cognitive bias, there's a great website listing 200 forms of uh, human cognitive bias. Mm -hmm. but you have to deal with that. And then you also have to build in uh, what we call uh, yeah, legal defensibility functionality to make sure that when the user is going to use it, the user is going to do it right. Now, that we can teach to the technical people, and I'm really surprised many of them find the ethical and uh, legal requirements very, very interesting. Okay. And they learn that very fast because they're all fast learners. Uh, and of course, they understand the mathematics and all the computer science requirements. And there we really try, I really try to explain them what is bad ethics and what is bad science and how can we prevent that. Uh, and that's what I, uh, but I also teach in Leiden University and there we, uh, we have a group of uh, legal professionals. Uh, and there we try to uh, teach the legal professionals, uh, the mathematical computer science, 
machine learning, uh, more like the technology, which is, uh, which is always kind of a challenge because, of course, they lack a lot of the background. So we try to explain them in, 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 in up to a certain level how this technology works and, and what the limitations are and what to ask for and how to ask the right questions. Uh, and, um, yeah, and also to understand that this technology is not a magic black box, but it, it's always kind of, if you understand the mathematics, it's kind of predictable how they behave. And it's also possible to understand what's, what, they can, what the technology can do and what it cannot do and how to validate that. And in those cases, uh, the best way of validation is always sampling. Uh, because then you can actually validate after the fact, after the classification and the use of the AI algorithms by taking random samples, uh, if it's according to certain quality standards without completely understanding the technology. So there we, we, we take a different approach. Okay, but uh, what I'm hearing you saying is uh, traditionally we have all these siloed uh, education, you either learn something about technology or you learn something about legal, uh, the regulatory and the law. Yeah. Uh, so what you're saying is we we need more T-shaped skills. We need to bring these diff, um, independent. Uh, yeah. yeah, this is a this is a, this is a multi uh, uh, multidisciplinary problem uh, like uh, cybersecurity. And we need people from different disciplinary disciplines to solve it. And um, yeah, you can take two approaches. You can either teach the lawyers the mathematics, uh, um, which is a little hard, or you teach the mathematicians the law and the ethical standards, which I have to say is much easier. Um, uh, but you can also bring people from different disciplines together and have them work uh, under a framework very similar as proposed to the Artificial Intelligence Act by the European Commission. Okay. Um, where you have a list of uh, control points, checkpoints, that they can then uh, validate. And uh, by involving people from different disciplines, um, they can then come up with a framework for what we call legal defensibility. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you need to, uh, I think you need to be even more than T-shaped. And maybe uh, we just discussed, uh, we said alphabet shaped. <laughs> I think T shaped is not good enough. It's uh, maybe M shaped. Yeah? And uh, uh, you, you, you do need to have a little bit deeper knowledge because the one problem that I see, and I, I wrote a whole publication about this, uh, which you can also find um, on, uh, on my website, which is called thelegaltechbridge.com, okay. uh, where I share all the educational material that. Uh, that I, uh, that I developed. And what we, what we, the problem that we have in, in, in this, uh, in, in having lawyers or legal professionals and computer professionals working together is that they are so different in education and in, in language that it's not that they don't understand each other, but often they don't even know that what the other party is doing that it exists. And yeah, if you don't know that it exists, you cannot recognize it, let alone understand it. And, and uh, what we need to do in, uh, in, in legal tech education uh, is to make people to, first of all, acknowledge those differences okay. and, and then address them. Uh, because uh, a great example is, for instance, IT folks of IT professionals, they hate ambiguity. They want to write things down very explicitly, very non-ambiguous. 
legal professionals deliberately add ambiguity to contract language to be prepared for unpredicted or unexpected cases in the future. Uh, um, for instance, uh, uh, IT folks work with the 80-20 rule. First we do the 80% and then you know, we think about the 20 later. That's totally unacceptable for legal professionals. Everything has to be right 100% from the start. I don't know if you've ever seen a legal professional working in an agile way. Mm -hmm. I can't, you know. Uh, so, so there's all these differences, and if we don't address those differences, uh, we, uh, yeah, we don't, uh, we don't understand each other, and then we're not going to get to the solution because the solution isn't a full integrated approach uh, from those okay. two fields. Jan, I think what you've taken us uh, uh, through is we likely already have a number of great solutions e-discovery which can help with accountability in a digital age uh, however we need to communicate and understand each other yeah absolutely yeah okay <laughs> yeah and that's uh, that's going to be quite a challenge and i see that um, i uh, there's a younger generation uh, that um, both at both sides, both at the uh, at the IT at the IT uh, computer science departments that uh, don't want to develop software without taking the ethical and legal parts into consideration. Uh, they feel they have like a responsibility to society uh, to not make Darth Vader software, so to say. Uh, on the other hand, we see a younger generation of legal professionals who understand that yeah, if they don't understand what's going on better, that they may become irrelevant in the longer term, and uh, and they're very concerned about that, okay. and they want to stay. They want to stay tuned, and, uh, okay. and that's good. Yeah, good. and I want to be there for those people, and uh, help them to uh, to solve this problem. Great. So, uh, final comments. So, are you optimistic about the future for accountability in a digital age? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's. Uh, I think. Uh, um, I think uh, we've uh, we've passed uh, the period of identifying uh, where the problems are, and there are many uh, many directions for solutions, uh, not only from IEEE, ACM, but also the European Commission. And I think, uh, yeah, we now have to make sure that the people that are stakeholders in these processes are all involved and understand what's going on. But I think we're making a huge progress there, and I'm very optimistic that uh, we will. Uh, we will get there, yes. Jan, Professor Jan Scholtes, thank you for sharing your insights and thank you for the conversation. Yeah, thank you very much, happy to do.